<laughs> it was great. Well, in, I don't want to be like a backseat driver to a bunch of kids, but I'm going to go ahead and read that scripture again uh, so we can get it in our minds. Um, we're going to talk about Luke 19, 28 through 40, what we just saw in front of our eyes. And I'm going to just do an apology up front. I don't like to be like, sometimes you'll get, when you start to read, research a story, and you learn that it's different than what we've always learned about it. And so I apologize if that's hard for you, but if you like that kind of thing, then this will be fun. Um, so Luke 19, verse 28. After he had said this, talking about Jesus, he had just told a parable. Um, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and, when you in- and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. You ever feel like you're getting set up? <laughs> Can you imagine? Would you do that if someone told you to do that? Hey, go in there and steal something. And if someone says anything to you, just say the Lord needs it. So they do it. And so, as, so those who were sent um, departed and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, hey, why are you untying that colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And it worked. <laughs> so, um, then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. Now remember, people are coming from all over the world for Passover here. So as they're walking towards Jerusalem, they're hearing these stories about Jesus. And remember, just last week, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, who was dead for four days. So these stories are going around, and as people are moving into Jerusalem this time, they're talking about the deeds of Jesus. And they start to say, when they see him coming in on this donkey, they start to say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, even the stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so oftentimes in your Bible, you'll have these headings at the beginning of the stories. And it'll tell you a little bit about what's, what you're about to read. And just so you know, those aren't inspired. Those, aren't, those weren't in the ancient texts at all. And sometimes those can be helpful to find something. But sometimes, like in this case, what you read there will put a pair of lenses on your eyes to read the next passage, and you might miss something. And this is actually kind of detrimental. I had a, a Bible teacher one time that would say, just cross all those out. Every heading in there, just cross it all out so your Bible will be all messed up. Um, I'm not saying to do that, but that's what he said. So we call this, a tri- sometimes this will say the triumphal entry on this. But that's actually not what's going on here. It's actually kind of a parody of a triumphal entry. There is a triumphal entry happening in Jerusalem on this day, but it's not Jesus. We'll explain this, okay. So first of all, let's set up the stage, okay? Um, You guys heard of a guy named Pontius Pilate, right? Okay, Pontius Pilate, who he is, the way this works, Rome is the empire, and it's in charge of all this territory, right? It's during the time of the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate, his job given by Rome was to stay in the area of Israel and Judah and to keep the peace. Make sure they don't get any ideas to 
revolt, no uprisings, no, no thoughts of revolution, right? And so he's there, but he doesn't live in Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem is a place that's just rife with politics and tension. And so it's like Washington, D.C. times 10 and throw a giant religious element in the midst of it all. It's not where Pontius Pilate wants to be. And actually, when he's around, it kind of exacerbates everything and yet makes everyone kind of like nervous um, or mad. And nobody likes him there, right? Because he's the overseer that's there to keep, keep the peace. Okay? So he lives in this really nice place called Caesarea by the Sea. It's about 60 miles northwest. Um, yes, northwest. And it's on the sea. Herod, the guy who built the temple, also built this huge palace there in Caesarea by the sea. And so he says, you know, I'm just going to live there um, and not be in Jerusalem all the time and having everyone hate me all the time. But there's certain times of the year where Pilate needs to come to town and he needs to show force. And the reason why he needs to do that is to make sure there's no revolt, no, no insurrections, no thoughts of revolution, right? And so one of the times he needs to do that is the week of Passover. And can anyone tell me why the week of Passover might be a time where maybe somebody has ideas of revolt in their mind? What are we, what are we looking back upon for Passover, right? It was a time where Egypt, the empire, had this group of people, the Israelites, these very same group of people, as slaves for 400 years. And what we look back upon when we talk about Passover is the time where we threw off the fetters of them. Remember the 12 plagues came, and including like the killing of the firstborn, and then they take all their stuff and take off up into the desert. And, they, and then when they go to chase them, their military chases them. The Red Sea parts, they cross over. The Red Sea comes back and destroys a big chunk of their military. That's not what any empire wants to hear and see a bunch of people celebrating, right? So it makes them very nervous when the, when the Jewish people celebrate Passover. So what Pilate does, which is a smart thing to do, is he's going to show a big display of power on the first day of Passover. So this is the first day of Passover we're talking about, Palm Sunday, right? And so what he's going to do is he's going to come that 60 miles from Caesarea by the sea, and he's coming and he's bringing an army with him so that everybody knows this isn't the year. <laughs> and so he brings this big garrison of Roman soldiers, and they're decked to the nines. They're, they're displaying force so that everyone knows, hey, if, you think about, if you're thinking this is the year for revolt, no. So they're marching. And you'll hear them coming from a mile away. And they're all decked out. They've got their swords. They've got their shields, their helmets on. And Pilate is on this big war horse, right? And what they're doing is they're displaying power. They want everyone to see them coming in the city, right? And so, when they're, they're, like I said, there's pilgrims coming from all directions into Jerusalem during this time. And they're all going to see this. And he's going to come in through the western gate. And what's expected of the people, the conquered people, which is what the Jews are at this time, is as he comes in, you're expected to throw flowers at him, to throw things in the road. Um, sound familiar? And they're, they're expected to say, Hail, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the emperor. Blessed is the emperor, the son of God. Right? We're painting a picture here. This is what's happening on this side of the city. He's coming in through the western gate there. Right? Um, when he comes in the city, he's supposed to bring peace. That's what the emperor does. But how does Rome bring peace? Domination and force, right? So on the other side of the city, um, so I'm going to, I'm making this into a pointer. 
So see that right there? That's the road to Caesarea. And he's coming that 60 miles. And he, this giant, the actual triumphal entry that's happening is happening right here on this day, the first day of um, the Passover. It's the Western Gate. I think today it's called the Damascus Gate. And over here, coming down from the Mount of Olives, like we read about, road from Bethany. Remember, he's coming straight from, his feet probably still smell like perfume. Um, because last week we read about, um, or we heard about um, Mary of Bethany anointing his feet. But he's coming in this gate. It's kind of like the back door. Solomon's porch, okay? So that's what's happening there, and he's coming on a donkey. <laughs> and this is a very different, um, that's supposed to be funny, you can laugh, it's okay. Um, so this is a grown man, what it looks like for a grown man to ride on a, a little donkey, right? And Jesus' donkey is probably a lot smaller than that. So there's something a little bit humorous about that, right? So why is he riding a donkey? Um, for this sermon, you guys are going to be the crowd, coming in through the eastern gate. You okay with that? You okay with your, your role? Okay. So he's riding on this donkey. Why is he doing that? It's kind of ridiculous looking. And I think it's supposed to be a little bit. Okay? So one, he's fulfilling a prophecy that we're going to talk about from Zechariah 9. Two, it's just this beautiful picture of humility. And we have this picture of showing force over here from Pilate. And just so you know, northwest, where that, that western gate, it's that way um, for, for our purposes. And so he's, he's juxtaposing a beautiful humility versus the hubris and ego over there. But three, this is kind of funny. He's kind of making fun of that show display of power, right? Um, so, I mean, here he is. I mean, you look at the, the look, what you think on Pontius Pilate's face. He's looking around. I'm the big man. I'm the power. I'm, I'm representing Rome. And you guys should be yelling, blessed is the, the son of the emperor. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the emperor. And then Jesus is kind of doing the exact same thing, sitting on this donkey. And what are his people saying? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's pretty seditious, you know, <laughs> when you think about what they're saying. They're saying the same thing. And so he's kind of making fun of the display of power that's happening on the other side of town right now. We don't know if it's the exact same time. I said It's either that or the exact same time or some of those people that saw that are now seeing this. But think of what you would think. And so as I was trying to think of a way to get across the feeling of what's going on here, you guys ever seen the movie Tombstone? I'm going to show you a clip of Tombstone. And just to get the feeling, I think, of what Jesus is doing here a little bit, or the third reason he's riding a donkey into town. Um, what we're going to see is there's this guy named Johnny Ringo, and he's wanting to intimidate Doc Holliday um, by showing him how great he is with a gun, and just to scare him, Right? And Doc Holliday's response, I think, is very similar to what's happening on this uh, mock triumphal entry. So go ahead and play that. showing how great he is.
See that feeling that just happened there? I think that's what this triumphal entry that Jesus did is kind of like. He's, it, it makes the display of power that's happening on this side of the city look a little foolish, right? Um, I love that. I love that movie anyway. But so, so back to the, the reason, too, he's doing that. Um, Zechariah 9, um, we're going to look back to this. Zechariah 9 was written at, at around 520 B.C., so this was about 490 years before Palm Sunday. And Zechariah 9 was also written as a little bit of a parody as well. Alexander the Great, you guys remember that guy? He had just come through, and he was conquering a bunch of lands everywhere. Um, so he got Tyre, and he uh, d- destroyed them, and then he went through Gaza and just devastated that place. Then when he got to Jerusalem, they were like, hey, come on in. <laughs> um, so he came in on his war horse. And then right around this same time, Zechariah wrote um, the following, starting with verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And look what happens next. I will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He brings peace that results in one group of people, his kingdom that covers everything and needs no one else. Okay? So let's talk about the decision Jesus has to make. All right, you guys remember who you are? You're the crowd, right? And Jesus is riding on this little donkey. I mean, I think he might even have to pull his feet up to even make that work. I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous looking, right? So he comes in, and he has a choice. If he goes this way, he could take all of you guys with him right to the Praetorium Guard. And he could, he could maybe even meet Pilate there, and we could fight. We could do that. Um, he takes it left, that'll take him down to the temple. And that'll, it's a, basically the road that will take him to the cross. But let's talk about this option first. Okay, if you guys are in the crowd, let's say you've come from all over the world. You've just met each other. You've been hearing these stories of Jesus. And the closer you get to Jerusalem, the more stories you're hearing. Now, it's, now you're starting to hear this story about Lazarus, who four days was dead and he raised. And we're looking at this guy. We know Zechariah 9. So we know that this, he's sitting on a donkey and he's bringing peace. So this is the day, right? This is super, super exciting. And some of you are hoping for different things. But let's say you're a person who says, today's the day where we're going to topple Rome, right? It's all happening, right? And we have this guy right here. Let's think about what he can do as a military leader. Can he gather a crowd? Just look around. How many times do we hear about thousands of people coming to hear him speak? He can gather a crowd, right? Two, if one of us gets wounded in battle, what can he do? He can heal us. That's handy. If one of us dies in battle, what can he do? He can raise us from the dead. Also very handy if you're in a war. Another thing is if somehow Rome, there's this big siege that we have to fight out a siege, how many people can he feed with two loaves and five fish, or five fish, five loaves and two fishes? At least 5,000, maybe 15,000. We don't know how they counted up things like that. So he can provide food for us. He can heal our wounds, he can gather a crowd, and if we happen to die, he can raise us back up. That looks good for military, right? 
this is going to work well if we do this. So here it is. He's entering in. He's thumbing his nose at Pilate. And so this must be it, right? So if he takes a, a right, let's just play this out. I'm going to take a right, and this will be the military way of winning, the way that the world knows. Okay, here we are. He, you know, if he, get, if he takes this way, now I'm, he's above, and his people are above. And say we win the whole war. Remember, this would be easy for him. Um, we read in John that when Ju Judas comes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he brings a whole garrison of Russian military people, all dressed just like these people are, ready to go, um, Jesus walks out and says, hey, who is it you're looking for? And he says, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Do you remember what happens? He fell over backwards. So all it takes is a word from his mouth, and an entire garrison of Romans will fall down on their backs. But what does he get? What does Jesus get if he does it this way? He gets two groups of people, winners and the losers. His people come with him. That's the winning group. And then there's a bunch of losers down at the bottom again. And how is that different than any other military leader, any other revolt, and what do humans do when that happens? Whoever won is just going to start mistreating the people who lost. We've seen it again and again and again throughout human history. So that's what happens if he takes a right. He could do it, and it might have been good for a while, but eventually that's not what he wants. Two groups is not what he's interested in. He's not interested in winners and losers. So Jesus... He takes this way, and this way takes him to the temple. But what he's going to do, instead of winning and creating two groups of people, he's going to choose humility, and he's going to go down to the temple, make a bunch of other people mad, and he's going to go the way of the cross, and he goes down, and he says, I will be the loser so that there are no more losers, so that you can all be winners. My question is, this is a question Stephen's asked people to say this uh, in the alley over the past Lent, to bring a question to God. And we really pray that you do that. These questions that we're asking you to ask God can have some, make for some wonderful discussions. But is, can your God lose? Can your God choose to lose? Today I want to think about that. When he took that left to go towards the cross, because he just thumbed his nose at Pilate, so that group's already mad at him. Don't think Pilate's not going to hear about this. And when he takes this left to go here, what he does is he ends up going to the temple and turning over money changers. He's touching money of people. <laughs> so he's going to make that whole group really mad at him. And by the end, everyone's mad at him, and he ends up choosing to lose on the cross so that we can all win. So is God willing to lose? A lot of us have been indoctrinated um, throughout our history that God is a guy who chooses every argument that he has to win, every fight he has to win. Well, if that's true, why isn't everyone a believer? <laughs> he allows us, even though he's gone through everything, the cross becoming sin for us, he still allows us to reject him if we want to. He's willing to lose. I have a 
five-year-old named Bo, and he is not a basketball player um, right now. Um, it's, it's not good. Um, but if you saw me playing basketball with Bo, and every time he just tried to dribble the ball, and I just stole it from him and went and scored. And every shot he'd throw up, I'd just throw it up in the stands. And, and if you saw me doing that, what would you think about my self-esteem? Right? But if you saw me letting Bo take the ball from me, lifting him up to score baskets, that'd be a different story, right? I think God's a lo lot more like this one than he is like that one. And that's something I want us to think about. How, how do I see him? And God allows us to think wrong things about him. And even worse and harder, I would think, if I were God, he allows us to tell other people things that aren't right about him. It happens all the time. I mean, if we look back at our own life, we've probably all done it. We've probably all told someone something we believed at the time about God that wasn't true. And he's willing to let us do that. He's willing to make it, let us make bad decisions. He's not the guy at the end of every article in the comments section that's going to fight with you. That's not who he is. But I think sometimes we think that is who he is, and that's who we need to be. So we have a God who's magnanimous enough to not pick every fight with us and not have to win every time. And we see this. When Jesus takes that left, he's taking a left to the cross to be the only loser that everyone has the opportunity to win and say yes. You know, in the early church, oftentimes when... Um, when they were allowed to build churches <laughs> after the persecution, to enter into a church, one of these older churches, you would pass lots of like pictures. And these pictures you would pass, you'd like hide your kids' eyes from. Because this guy's getting disemboweled, and this guy's getting decapitated, and this guy's getting eaten by an animal. And on the way into church, to let you know, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. There's a part that we miss a lot these days of what it took to be a Christian. And what it looked like was a willingness to lose. We have a God who's magnanimous enough that he's willing to lose. And my prayer, as I look at that, is I say, God, I want to be a person like that, who's willing to lose so that others may win. It doesn't have to win every argument. It can let some of these things go and just love the people around me. That's who I want to look like. And that's the God that, that we serve. Anybody have any questions or comments? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. You're not in a fight with us. You're really not in a fight with anybody else. Lord, we thank you that you can choose to lose so that we can win. Lord, I pray in my own life that I can choose the place of a loser and not have to win every single battle or pick every single fight. We're thankful that you chose a different way than the way of the world that leaves winners and losers in the first place. Only you could think of that. Only you could pull it off and go through with it. And we thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus' name.